This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to this week's Olive Magazine podcast. I'm Janine, Olive's food director, and I'll be your host for this episode. Coming up, digital editor Alex chats to cookie writer Adam about the culinary delights of Malaysia. Later on, I'm chatting to editor Laura and sub Hannah about why cider is this year's coolest drink, and I'll have some tips on cooking with it too. But first up, here's Alex again, catching up with chef and food writer Ellie Kirshen about her new book, Let's Eat, and what's going on food-wise at this year's Camp Festival. Okay, so hi, I'm here at Caffeine on East Castle Street with Ellie Kirshen, also known as Ellie Pear who's a cafe owner and cookbook writer. Uh, so Ellie, Ellie Pear. Yes. Let's explain that to our listeners who okay. might not understand this link. Um, I didn't choose this name for myself. <laughs> it kind of got given to me. My cafe is called The Pear Cafe. It's in Bristol. And um, when I first was choosing my username for Instagram, uh, it was you know, Ellie from The Pear Cafe. Um, and that was a bit long. So it just became Ellie Pear. And now okay. that's where everyone calls me. Great. And then that stuck. And that's how everybody knows me do you like so being called Ellie Pat? I, I went through a, I went through a hate uh, stage for a while because like there aren't any other Kirshens and my my name my surname feels very much part of my identity so I struggled for a bit with uh, having two names but I'm at peace with it now that's okay. me <laughs> so um the pear cafe yeah I must admit I've not been yet unfortunately okay. but I've heard great things we're only open during the week during the daytime so if you don't live in Bristol it's oh, kind of I see. Uh, okay. challenging for people who are like sad you often have people come to visit Bristol at the weekends and say I can't wait I've been following you for years and I can't wait to come and try your food and I have to remind them that we're not open at the oh, weekends dear. but um, I try to make it as clear as possible over my website and stuff but do still get some disappointed people which always yeah, makes me sad knocking on your door yeah. <laughs> faces up against the glass <laughs> so why have you become so famous because I I, a lot of people have heard of your cafe and what, what, what do you specialise in? Um, so we've been there for 11 and a half years um, and we serve breakfast and lunch mm-hmm. um, it's all takeaway there's no tables and chairs um, and we're making everything there ourselves so it's uh, basically uh, coffee and then um, frittata which I post every day what our frittata of the day is on Instagram oh. and so a lot of people have probably seen that what are some um, examples which are your favourites? so um, it's always starts with a um, egg cheddar and potato base and right. then seasonal veg so we did a beautiful one the other day with um, rose cauliflower including the cauliflower leaves and fennel seeds um, 
asparagus, um, all sorts of different things, but um, it's always delicious, and that's out all day. And then sandwiches and salads and soup at lunchtime, um, and then our butterscotch and plain chocolate brownies and flapjacks and stuff on the counter as well, and sausage sandwiches in the morning, and just loads of delicious things. Amazing. Yeah. Well, if I'm in Bristol during the week, I'll definitely come along. Please do. Um, so as well as managing the cafe, uh-huh. you've somehow managed to squeeze in writing two cookbooks now so the first one fast days and feast days that's right yep that was a bestseller yes sunday time sunday times bestseller it came out in april last year seems like forever and lifetime ago but (laughs) yeah and the new one's out next week okay what what, 15th of june okay thursday the 15th and what's the the main focus of this one the new book is called ellie pears let's eat and um, it's published by harper collins again and um basically the first book was built around the structure of the five two hence the fast yes. days of feast days and the, the simplest way to explain this is kind of life after the five two so it's not built around the five two um at all but stuff that i learned while i was doing that um, about getting a bit more organised, uh, batch cooking, all okay. these things that benefit you in many ways, regardless of if you're doing the 5-2 or not. So um, making a load of something, having it in the freezer, and then when you get home on a busy day, I found that I was doing that and taking things out even when I wasn't on a fast day. And then right. I'm eating them because I'm like, oh, it's so lovely to come home. Basically, made your own ready meals. You know, you've spent that time... You've invested in your future self and yes. uh, you made a load of something and you've got it in, in uh, Tupperware in the freezer. So when you're really busy and you want to take dinner on the table quickly, kind of 10, 15 minutes and you've got something. So what I've done with the new book is a load of batch cooking recipes and things that can become component parts of um, dinner but served in different ways. Okay. So for, for me, um, you know, batch freezer cooking mm-hmm. is one of those things that everybody attempts to do and then they put it in the freezer and then forget about it and you go into your freezer a month later and don't know what's there. Probably Cook- haven't labelled it. Yeah, exactly. It's got what, fridge what are your frost. tips for, for freezer cooking? Freezer etiquette. Yes. Um, <laughs> definitely, definitely label everything really clearly because you think that you will remember what's in it, you won't. And when it, when things are frozen, you're, and you're like, it's what like, am I defrosting? It's, it's, I'm not, yeah, but brown, no idea what green. it is. And, yeah, it's, it's some, and often things kind of look quite similar especially if it's got a tomato base and you're like was this a curry or was this a soup I don't know what it is and you can't defrost something and then oh it's a nightmare yeah. so label everything really carefully so invest um, in good labels be- good labels are essential <laughs> um also don't fill things too much because they will expand when you when you freeze them so right. leave a little bit of space at the top make sure the lid's on tightly and uh try and uh, freeze it flat so that it's defrosts evenly so it's a okay you know you haven't got a big block of ice at one end um but the main thing that uh, i found is that if you've got a freezer full of stuff it's all well and good but you don't want to defrost and eat the same thing every night no. um even if you've got a couple of different things in there you're going to get fed up of eating the same thing over and over again so what i've done in the new book in the first chapter are five different freezable base dishes which all happen to be um gluten-free as well which i actually oh, great. hadn't no hang on sorry the um the meatball have got some um, breadcrumbs in it but you could totally use gluten-free breadcrumbs yeah. instead but they're all um, thing, and I think they're pr- I think they're all apart from the meatballs which have got an egg in it they're all vegan as well oh, wow, so okay. they're base recipes and then each of them when you defrost them it's got four different ways to use that base dish oh so, so you get them out so you cook it in, ba- in a ba- yeah. batches freeze them in separate portions yes absolutely and then take out a different one exactly. each night exactly and-, and so some of them you need one portion per person and okay. some of them you can stretch them out for example there's a cannellini bean stew and with that one you can use like two portions between four people because you're going to add some stock and and stretch out into a soup brilliant so you actually get more 
bang for your buck as well. And then um, some of the serving suggestions are quick, kind of um, more like a Tuesday night casual dinner things. And some of them are, they've all got at least one serving suggestion that would be good enough for a dinner party if you're having people around. So, you know, you could be cooking a big batch of something, give some to your kids for dinner and then... um, you know posh it up and do something special with it and make it into dinner when friends are coming around as well so it's very savvy with money as well yeah i can imagine and the main you know driving force is always for me is uh flavor and ease and uh reducing waste and um you know if you can make a big batch of something and go and buy everything you need at once you're saving time you're saving money you're saving energy exactly uh, both your own and you know the the oven um stand over the uh hob for an hour and often it's um not an hour's hands-on time sometimes things just need to cook and you know sit there for a bit but a bit of chopping and stuff have it on glass of wine in your hand do it when you've got some time (laughs) yeah and then benefit from that work on a night when you don't feel like putting any effort at all yeah because um that's that's what's seems like a really good idea about it because um cooking is very much like uh, people have a love-hate relationship with it they love as you say just taking time over cooking with a glass of wine but then sometimes you just need something don't you get in my face so what yeah exactly (laughs) which is your favorite of these recipes then i've got the book book in front of me i'm gonna have a little flick through it looks lovely by the way um this is uh thank you very much i'm really really happy with how it looks lucy the designer um basically um has carried on the kind of design theme for my first book so it feels very much like a kind of older sister of the other book. It's a really like, nice set together. So this recipe is a lentil, tomato and coconut dal, which is totally gluten-free, it's totally vegan, massively filling and nutritious and brilliant. And the dish on its own as a base dish is fab. And that recipe makes um, six portions. Okay. Um, but then there's four different ways to serve it. So the first one is you can turn it into a soup by right. adding some, one of those jars of the roasted peppers. You know, okay, the, yep. you can get them in every corner shop. And you literally chuck those peppers in, chuck some stock in and blitz it up. So you, know, you come home from work and with in five minutes you could have like amazing soup on Brilliant. the table or you could have this for dinner one night and then make it into the soup and freeze the soup portions for work oh, lunches yeah um and then some toasted cashew nuts on the top there's another one which is what i do for dinner a lot with a six minute egg and toasted breadcrumbs on the top um so that's you know it takes the same time to heat up the dal as it does to cook the egg and oh, this fab. on the table really okay. fast um, another one with wilted greens lemon and yogurt it's just really nutritious and delicious and then a bit of a smarter one with um, seared tofu avocados pickles and seeds which oh, is kind of wow. like the so that's kind your of, dinner party kind of or even just when I want to dinner. treat myself yeah uh, it's a really pretty one oh that's that, beautiful that's the I know sort of food that I like to cook see. a lot it's yeah, a really colourful and vibrant I, I, I love a topping what are these on the top that's pickled um, turnip they're Lebanese pickled, pickled turnips they're like neon and luminous pink yeah they're really um, bright they like purpley in the jar while it's pickling and they're, ah. they're bright and then that with the toasted seeds and stuff that's really kind of the sort of food that I love the most different textures different you know contrasting between the hot and the cold and the soft and the crunchy and just wicked great okay so as if you didn't have enough on your plate already you're also doing some pop-ups and festivals this year. I am, yeah. So what are you, what are you doing first? Are you um, getting brighter? So, yes, so on the Monday after my book comes out, on Monday the 19th, I'm doing a um, collaboration dinner with my friend Doug at Silo in Brighton. Okay. Which I'm sure lots of people have heard about. Yes. They're really, I really want to get it's there. It's an incredible, incredible restaurant. And they've, what they've been doing there for years... Um, 
they were real trailblazers with um, the zero waste movement and what some of their ideas and approaches and things that they're doing have become a bit more mainstream in the last few years which I'm really like, delighted to see but Doug has always been incredibly generous with his knowledge and his experience and um, we've become good friends my mum lives down in Brighton so every okay. time I go to see her I always go and hang out at Silo and um, Doug is just wicked and really brilliant and um, he asked me a long time ago if I wanted to do a dinner there together so we decided to do a um, dinner with recipes from my new book but we within the silo framework which means zero waste waste. they don't even have been there Wow. Like literally you have to be really like so what do they thoughtful. do with they've got this incredible incredible um, in-house composter right um, so all of the food waste goes into there okay um, and uh, they do take all sorts of measures which you know might seem like a lot of work but actually these are the sort of things that everybody can think about doing so when they order stuff they make requests with their suppliers to not bring things in that they can't get rid of so okay. you know bringing things in reusable packaging right. um, or stuff that's um, compostable so uh, we should all be doing exactly, really, isn't yeah. It? And you know, if, if someone brings you, you know, just refu- refuse the uh, the packaging if you don't need it at the point of purchase. You can just put it in your bag. And I think the bag tax really is you know oh, made people yeah. stop and think a lot about that. But yeah, they're doing all sorts of things. Their plates are made out of compressed uh, recycled carrier bags. Oh, the blackboards wow. are made out of compressed coffee grinds. Um, they make cheese with the leftover steamed milk. Right. So like we're in a coffee shop now and obviously skilled baristas waste very little milk, but yes. there is a certain amount of milk waste whenever you're making coffee when you've over steamed too much. And they found a way of making that into a cheese. That, oh, and wow. they are doing is it so taste of coffee at all. No 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 it's not it's, it's not got oh, coffee in it. It's oh, sorry, the it's yeah, it's the milk that they've yeah. steamed from it but um, they're doing so much cool stuff like that and loads of people go and um, do uh, stages and work experience at Silo because you just spend an hour in their company and you come away feeling inspired and excited Amazing. so I'm massively looking forward to doing our dinner there sold out within a few hours so oh we, wow we put, so we can't come along um, we put the tickets up for sale and um, uh, woke up the next morning and uh, it had all gone wow which that's was just wicked. credit to, to you both to you and Silo I've got a good crew in Brighton they really uh, came through for me yeah. <laughs> so if you so obviously we can't come along to that but if we, people want to see you you're going to yeah. be at Camp Festival aren't I you? am yeah so Camp Festival is um, festivals um, like little sister or family sister. Yeah. kind of version yeah it's the 27th to 30th of July at Lulworth Castle in Dorset which and is the most beautiful location is it yeah by the sea Castle, Rolling Hills, beautiful. Ah, so our um, editor Laura Rowe will also be there in the literary tent. I know Laura from Bristol. We've known each other for a long time. Of course, yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing her there. Bristol girl. So, um, They've got a dedicated food space this year called the Feast Collective, yep. haven't they? they and have. you're a Feast Collective ambassador. I am. I've been, I've been asked what to be ambassador. What does that entail? <laughs> so uh, it's me and um, a few other friends as well. So when they asked me to do it, I you know, saw who else was doing it, and I was uh, it was a yes. So um, Gil's going to be there as well, Gil Miller, and um, Stephen Lamb. And they're both River Cottage alumni. Yes. But I met Stephen at River Cottage Festival last year, and he is absolutely wicked. Really, really nice guy. And um, he's doing it as well. And Joe Ingleby, um, who I know from Bristol, Yes. Um, and uh, DJ Barbecue as well, who, like, wherever he is, that's where oh, the party's gosh, at. Oh, gosh, I heard, yeah. <laughs> He's brilliant do fun. Do you know... Um you know Zoe's Ghana Kitchen yeah um, she's going to be we've there not met well. yet but I'm looking forward to meeting her there yeah, we did um, some recipes from her in our May issue so everyone's been going mad for her food so I'm really vibrant, looking forward to really it fiery, really great. and there's loads of other um, you know they're all independent street food businesses and it's a, a brilliant showcase for some all sorts of interesting food and I just you know the days of festival food being rubbish are long gone oh, I know. Um, the choice is 
unbelievable and I'm going with my um, I'm taking a friend and her three kids so um, I haven't got uh, children myself but uh, we'll, we'll have the three kids with us oh, um, and lots of they are really the whole thing is just built for kids Brilliant. Um, there are adults that go on their own but I think most of the people that go are going with families and um, the activities are unbelievable and those kids are all really adventurous eaters so I'm really Great. really looking forward to taking them and there's you know there's bow and there's oysters and there's uh, um, shrimp and like just loads and loads of delicious great stuff so there's we, loads uh, to look forward to we tried in the test kitchen recently um, but cheese buttermilk fried chicken Burger. Butt cheese. Butt cheese. Butt cheese. Sorry, I'm more than. What's butt cheese? <laughs> butt cheese. Um, butt cheese is a fried buttermilk chicken street food store okay. that are going to be there as well. Okay. And we've got a recipe in our July issue as Brilliant. well. So, yeah, have a look out for that. I will. Um, and then Sea Dogs also, who's their Devonshire, aren't they? Fish, and they make lots of dishes. Yeah. Um, like Japanese dishes and. And it's just I'm, I'm going to have to make some. So you know how people make a plan of who, what acts they want to see at Glastonbury. Yeah. I'm going to have to make a sort of uh, eating plan for just walk around with a bum bag full of snacks. Well, that's what that's what festivals are about now. It's not yeah. just about the acts you want to see, to, you want to hear. Yeah. It's the acts that you want to eat. Yeah, well, absolutely. not the people, but the, the food. So. so so much to choose from, and this uh, you know as well as the feast collected, there's all sorts of other stuff. They're just really good at picking good people to feed everyone and you know for a lot of families that go this is their main holiday as well yeah, and course. um and so you know it's, it's full of lovely things to make it a really special weekend for everyone great well um we'll see you there yeah if you want to go and see ellie at camp festival it's 27th to 30th of july and then again her book is out let's eat on the 15th of june ellie pears let's eat on the 15th of june yes Wonderful. all right well it's lovely to meet you thank you so much for having me on thank you Cider's had a bit of a revolution in the last couple of years and is catching up with craft beer as the drink of 2017. Editor Laura tells us why it's one of her favourite drinks. Okay, hello, this is Laura, the editor of Olive Here, and I'm here with lovely Janine, hello. our food director today. And we've also got a newbie in today. We've got Hannah, who's our new sub-editor and is a fellow West Country girl like myself. Hello. <laughs> um, so we thought it appropriate to get another West Country girl in to talk about cider today, Janine. Yeah. Yeah. Because we've got a, um, we've we've had a brilliant lowdown in in our our latest issue, um, which I've learned a lot about cider. Because I, like many people, grew up. Um, I was a bit of a goth when I was younger, <laughs> so unfortunately, I grew up drinking cider with black currant. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a long time ago, and my tastes have changed since then, honestly. Um, <laughs> but um, but yeah, read, reading about lovely craft cider that's happening now, I was just astonished to find that you can call something cider and only have 35% apple juice, yeah. which to me is just shocking. I mean... Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm sure Hannah will agree, but for us who lived in the West Country and grew up in the West Country, cider is just like a way of life. So <laughs> from, a certain age, <laughs> from a certain age, obviously, when you're legal and uh, responsible, um, obviously... <laughs> no sitting on park benches with Yeah, no white lightning behind the gravestone, <laughs> honest. Um, uh, yeah, so... But you kind of understand about cider and yeah. you don't necessarily gravitate to those really sugary, um, sweet ciders. You yeah. have obviously cloudy cider, um, you have still ciders, you have a whole spectrum of drinks to try. So it's not this this weird fizzy drink that you only drink when you're 
14 and shouldn't be doing yeah, it. I think when I first started working with you and I found <laughs> out you're from the West Country and we had this conversation about cider <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, have you had? Have you ever had those ones which are cloudy and they've got bits and you were like, yeah, they're amazing. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, this girl is hardcore. <laughs> <laughs> no, but they're, they're really, really good. Yeah. yeah. So as Janine said, in, in our brilliant lowdown feature, which is online now, if you didn't manage to catch it in the issue, the incredible thing about in Britain is that you can make a cider, but it only be 35% apples. Yeah. And actually, brilliant cider is made with brilliant <clears throat> apples. And mm. so that's why there are great ciders in the West Country, because you've got all that brilliant produce. And there are other pockets around the UK. Um, but, you know, those bottles that have... Um, I'm making inverted commas signs here, which I know you can't see on the podcast, but berries and yeah. lime and kiwi, they are not ciders. No. They are fizzy... They're alcohol pops, essentially. Yeah. Um, so... And I think it's hard as well because a lot of people, um, their experience with cider is either cider and black at uni or wh- yeah. wherever, which I <laughs> down plenty of. Um, it's a brilliant cocktail. You should try it if you haven't. <laughs> but um, is when, you, when you go to a pub, even you know nowadays you can get so many different beers. You can mm. get three or four local ales, even if it's quite a, a small pub. And you can try lots of different craft beers. But with mm. cider, you're still probably going to get one commercial cider and that's it. And I think the craft beer revolution happened so quickly because people could jump on it and they could turn around beer very, very quickly as yeah. well. Whereas, as we said, cider, unfortunately or fortunately, takes time and yeah. you can't cheat it. No, you can't. And and the result is you either have a brilliant cider or an awful cider. There's yeah. kind of n- not many in-betweens, I don't think. So we did a brilliant feature in this issue. Um, we talked about pairing with food and the different styles of ciders that you can get and pear mm. cider as well. And the fact that you can, you know, each cider will, it, if you're brewing it to that kind of um, level, you'll be looking for a certain apple and a certain astringency exactly. and a certain fruitiness, and exactly. that's going to lend your... And then you're, I guess, in a way, like you're... You, your side is always going to be slightly, you know, it'll have the same characteristics, but it's mm. never going to be the same no. across every single bottle because it's not a uniform product. No. It's an artisan product and that's what makes it great, so basically. So yeah, special. Yeah. yeah. Um, can I just as well point out, a bit like there was a craft beer revolution and there are some bad craft beers out there, the marketing yeah. campaign of, say, five, six years ago <laughs> yeah. to be told to put ice in cider is yeah. not a thing. Any good cider does not need ice in it. That's either going to dull the flavour or water it down. And why would you want to water it down? So do not <laughs> do that. Um, but Hannah, tell us about some of the great places that you've been to that serve cider, because you're obviously from around the Bristol area, like myself originally. Mm. And and there they do, you know, the pubs really celebrate cider and you don't just get one or two. You mm. can get whole bars that are dedicated to the different types of cider that you can get. Well, I mean, you know, most pubs in Bristol um, will have at least at least three um, ciders on tap, but yeah. um, some of the best uh, cider kind of specialist pubs are um, anyone in Bristol will know the Apple. Yes, I've been um, there many times. It's uh, a pub on a boat in Welshback. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's uh, a great summer destination, um, and loads of different ciders there. Um, you could definitely spend a very productive afternoon working way through the list. Um, I think they sell a cider called Old Bristolian, which is so strong that they will only sell it to you in half pints. Yeah. You don't I get it in that. a pint. Um, <laughs> I love that. And a little, more, a little more out of the way um, is a place called the Orchard Inn okay. in Hot Wells. Um, it's very small, very cosy. It's a real locals place. Yeah. But that probably has probably one of the more impressive lists of cider yeah. that I've seen okay. um, in the city. Um, so they have, um, I think it happens a couple of times a year, but they do a cider festival um, at the Passenger Shed, okay. I think, um, at Temple Meads. Um, and they'll have so many different um, 
makers and some some of the usually all of the main ones like lilies and um, thatchers but lots of really small specialist ones and you can try yeah a lot but you can't remember presumably well, can't, how many you can tell you how many i did <laughs> try yeah. um the one thing i found moving to london is that as a west country girl you you can't get good cider in london but you said you found a bar in london that, that does have a good selection uh yes um if you want to try um some proper cider and not um mm. the sugary concoctions you were talking about mm. earlier um the brie louise um in euston uh, yeah. Does lots of different lots of different types, okay. um, and again, that's a lovely, um, quite student friendly place. So if yeah. you're a student, um, you get a discount. Um, <laughs> Good. <laughs> Just, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's a lovely place, and that does. Um, Again, I can't remember all the ones I've tried, but good, good, lots good. of different types. Well, we've got some great suggestions in the feature, which I said is either online or in our um, June edition of Olive as well. So we've got lots to try in there. Um, my personal favourite, um, which I'm going to try, and I know, Hannah, you really love this too, is Weston's Old Rosie, mm. which is lethal. Um, it's I think it's 7.3%. Yeah. So again, drink with caution. Um, as my boyfriend knows, because I drank him under the table uh, whilst drinking Old Rosie and he was suffering desperately the next morning. Um, but it, it's just a gorgeous... Um, it's got a slight blush to it, hasn't it? It's um, And it's, it's, it's got a nice, really nice dryness to it. Yeah. It's not too sweet, because some, uh, some scrumpies can be really strong but also really intensely sweet yeah. which if your taste doesn't run to that yeah it's quite overwhelming but but it's not dramatically farmyard either you no. haven't got some of them just smack of like hay and wheat yeah and they it do, just yeah. doesn't do that it's it's a really nicely balanced commercially made but really good punchy cider yeah it's very drinkable and it's also probably the most widely available scrumpy i've seen like i've seen it in most supermarkets yeah um that's one to worth, go for. Definitely worth looking out for. Cool. Um, let's go back to Janine now, though, anyway, because cider is not just for drinking. It's not. It's for cooking with... I mean, you don't have to use the whole thing. You can <laughs> drink some of it as well. Yeah. Well, that's the good thing about it. I mean, I... I um, probably started cooking with cider because I was being a bit tight and <laughs> thinking do I really need to put a half bottle of wine in this dish and actually um you find that I think you can sub in cider for most white wine recipes like with mussels it's absolutely beautiful with yeah. mussels like the sweetness goes with the flesh um a sausage is braised in cider another gorgeous Yum. dish with a bit of mustard a bit of cream in it yeah um if you're doing a pork roast you can pour cider into the bottom of the roasting tin and then Lush. deglaze it and make a really nice gravy from that yeah um so if you think about whenever you're putting white wine in you know cider will just add the that sort of nice alcohol kick mm. but it'll also give you a lovely fruit fruitiness as mm. well so it's a slightly different dimension but it's in the same kind of ballpark and um and this month, um, com- coming up um, in our next issue, we have the ultimate barbecue dish, which is um, cider, cider can Sorry, chicken. Massive clap things, it's so <laughs> exciting. <laughs> which is based on um, a, a kind of US barbecue um, stalwart, which is beer can chicken, where you open a can of beer, you pour a bit out to make a bit of air in there, and then you upend the cavity of the chicken onto the can. It's a polite way of yeah. saying shove it up its backside. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then the can and the little chicken legs become the kind of trivet and you sit the chickens standing up on the barbecue and um, barbecue the chicken yeah. like that. And yeah. the cider boils up inside the can or the beer, whichever one you use them, um, and, and sort of perfumes the chicken from the inside and keeps it really moist. And, and we found... W- 
why don't we do it with cider? And it, again, it gives it that really good, yeah. lovely fruitiness. Because chicken and cider as well is, is a great, you know, you can roast chicken, pour mm. a bit of cider in, pour a bit of cider over. Um, it's just so versatile. Well, yeah. <laughs> and it's only like a pound a can, you yeah. know, and you can get, I think, a decent sort of... I don't, I don't think you need to go to to get the really artisan good stuff, right. but you can get like a nice, decent, you know, yeah. um, like maybe like Thatcher's or something, which is which is Definitely. quite nice, Definitely. you know, widely available cider and Definitely. use that. So Yeah, that's a so, really yeah. good recipe. That's in our July issue, yeah. which is out uh, Friday the 16th. So that's July. right, yeah. yeah. And I think um, since we've been sitting around the office talking so much about cider that um, Alex, our um, digital editor, is, is now going to go and do a cider collection online <laughs> because I've just asked her to. Yeah, well, it's so, just like yeah. you said, we've got so many great recipes yeah. using cider um that you should definitely go and try definitely. try and use it buy some to drink buy some to cook with just exactly. just get using cider <laughs> and let us know what your favorite ciders are to drink on twitter as well so yeah. it's at olive magazine we'd be really interested to hear what you guys have been drinking definitely. perfect thank you so much guys thank you Now, digital editor Alex has recently come back from a trip to Malaysia and is ready to compare notes with Kuku writer and fellow fan Adam. Let's see what they found out. Hello, I'm Alex and I'm here with our cookie writer Adam. Hello. And we have been chatting a bit about Malaysia and Malaysian cuisine as we've both been... Well, you've been quite a lot, haven't you? I have, yeah. My dad's lived there for a long... Well, for yeah, a few years. Went a, few, yes. went a couple of times. And you've been... Well, I haven't and been I've, in a while. Yeah, I've just just come back, really. And um, we were talking about Malaysian dishes and we thought we'd give a bit of an insight into them because they're not as well-known as a lot of other mm. Southeast Asian countries because Thai, you've got, you know, you've got your Thai green curry that yeah. everyone knows. Yeah, yeah. Vietnam, you've got your pho. Um, so we thought we'd give you a bit of a lowdown about, Viet- um, not Vietnamese, Malaysian ingredients and Malaysian food. Yeah. Um, also, in our July issue, we've actually got a, a lowdown on Malaysian ingredients from um, Malaysian chef Guan Chua. And he's uh, he's got a blog called The Boy You Ate the World, and he's got loads of um, loads of tips about Malaysia on yeah. there. Check them out. Um, so yeah, if you want to have a look at our fridge radar page on page thirteen. What makes Malaysian cuisine different is mm-hmm. the fact that it has um, it's made like the country is made up of lots of different ethnic groups. Yes. Um, there's really big communities of different people that make up Malaysia. Mm-hmm. So obviously they have the like indigenous Malay um, people. But then there's really big um, Indian, Chinese, even like Dutch. Like I think the Dutch used it. There's Portuguese yeah. that used to would lay claim had had lay claims and, and British as well. Um, so there's like, all those different things kind of mean that the cu- the cuisine is yeah it's like really varied and yeah. wide ranging. It's like a big. We don't like to use the word that often, but it's, it is like a big melting pot. It of is. Different I, I mean, cuisines. I think if you're, if you're going to use it in any instance, I would say this is a good good use of the term. It it's is. a melting pot. Yeah, and it's um, known as particularly Penang, which is a little island off the west coast, mm. and that's known as like the melting foodie melting pot mm, of the world, yeah. really, isn't it? Yeah. Um, have you been there? I have been to Penang, but I can't really. Rem- I can't like. I can't really remember it. Yeah, well, it's it's great. It's Georgetown is absolutely beautiful. It's a UNESCO World Heritage Mm. Heritage site, Um, and it's great because it's got a little India, um, so you get all your Indian dishes Mm. there, and then also it's got um, Penang uh, Assam laksa. Mm. It's very um, famous from there. Do you want to um, tell everyone a bit about Assam laksa? The sort of 
two main different types. So there's a curry laksa, mm-hmm. which I think most people in this country would know it as. When yes. you say laksa, that's what we come to think of, which is a curried base with coconut milk and then with a crispy tofu, maybe an egg, some chicken, mm-hmm. maybe some prawns, bean sprouts, that sort of thing. But noodles. there's also, yeah, of course, of course, mm-hmm. the uh, I think they're usually the flat rice noodles. Yeah, sometimes they have a mixture of the yeah. two. So they have the egg noodles and the flat rice yeah, yeah. noodles. Um, I don't know if there's a difference in the different types. Um, um, yeah. I'm not sure. I think with Assam Laksa, I think it would usually just be rice noodles. But mm-hmm. Assam Laksa is basically Assam in Malay um, dialect means tamarind, which is basically the oh, reason why um, it's so... It's like basically a hot and sour seafood soup. Mm-hmm. Similar to a tom yam, I think. Well, that, that would be the closest reference point, but it's not like tom yam. But it's sort of got that similar hot and sour element to it, which mm-hmm. is, um, yeah, absolutely delicious. No coconut milk as well, interestingly. Um, okay. Do they... It's, a, it's more... It's like a star anise and cardamom broth base, isn't it? Yeah, which again is similar to pho, which yes. is like they use. They use like a spiced beef broth. Um, but the, but Assam Laksa is always seafood in some way, whether it's fish or like a fish broth, mm-hmm. uh, then different um, shellfish or anything in the in the actual soup itself. Yeah, and when I went to, so I also went to Malaysian Borneo, um, so to a place called Kaching, which is really great little t- city, um, and they have their own Sarawak. So it's Sarawak, which is um, Western. Um, and they have their own Sarawak laksa and that Mm -hmm. is a lot more like a fur it's a lot more um, clean and a bit more subtle in terms of spice Mm. but it's really really fragrant so I actually I actually preferred that one and I had it in a place called Lao Ya Keng well pronounced well (laughs) pronounced did you practice that beforehand Um, I didn't actually I just uh, went with it so I hope that's correct but it was like a, a Great. What I love about Malaysia is all of the hawker-style coffee shops. Um, So they have one building, and usually it's a coffee shop or a a bar, Mm. and then they have loads of street food traders, don't they, under one roof. It's amazing. That's when you really see that there are so many different cuisines and different types mm-hmm. um, of food there is when you go to a place like that and you see what's on offer. I mean, there's people with, you know, like crispy duck, you know, like really Chinese things mm-hmm. that you wouldn't be out of place in any Chinatown or yeah. any or And in dim China. sum as yeah, well. Yeah, dim sum. And then you've got, you know, Indian uh, dishes, which we'll come to talk about in a minute. But um, And then obviously like the sort of Nyonya style uh, Malay cooking as well with yes. sort of like satays and... Um, Rendangs and all that sort of and the Nazi, all the Nazi lamaks and gorings and yes, all those sort all of things. Nazis. All the Nazis. All the Nazis. It's just, I think that just means rice. Yes. Yeah, so Nazi lemak is um, a dish that I, I had for breakfast a few times. Yeah, that's, um, that's quite popular. And yeah, so it's just fried rice cooked in coconut milk and um, also in a pandan leaf, which is um, like a, a sword like long leaf. Yeah, and really it fragrant. Gives it's a really just, coconutty yeah, aroma. Yeah. 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 Um, and then the idea is that you have your, your rice and then mm-hmm. you have all your toppings so you can choose between, like I had fried fish on one of them, mm-hmm. but you have all your, your peanuts, your sambal, your pickled cucumber, yeah. your crispy onion. Yeah, it's um, kind of all about the little toppings, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, in America, they would call that fixings. Fixins. And you just have little bits and you sort of, you have it in little piles around your pile of rice. So then you sort of, each mouthful, you might do different combinations of like a bit of cucumber, yeah. a bit of sambal, a bit of crispy fish if it is. But then you might mix it up and have a bit of peanut and a bit of, so you kind of like, you get a different mouthful each time. 
I yeah, that's, that's great. Yeah. In, let's just dissect sambal a little bit, just because for our listeners, people mm. might not know exactly what that is. Do you want to... A sambal is basically a, any sort of chilli sauce that is... Um, yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's sort of Indonesian, Fried. Malay, and it's, yeah, it's usually roasted chilies um, in some kind of, like, usually then with oil. Um, it's really high temperature, isn't it? It's cooked. Yeah, so it's usually, it's usually cooked. It's not just, like, ferment. It's not like a chilli sauce where it's just, like, raw chilies fermented or anything. Mm-hmm. It's kind of, yeah, fried with, like, crispy garlic and usually sugar and a bit of soy sauce and, uh, yeah. Nice, yeah, they nice have uh, one of my favourite dishes I had when I was out there, and it's got the, it's the Chinese kind of style of it, but it's also from the Nyonya, um, mm. the traditional, that's traditional Malay, isn't it? Mm. Um, it was cha kuei tiao. Yeah, um, well done. Another great pronunciation there. Well, you, you've literally, you put yourself, you put so many hurdles in this uh, podcast. As many as you, how many difficult things can I say in one pod- podcast? Uh, well, it was the best, so I had, I couldn't miss it out. Um, and you have sambar with that, but it's basically fried flat noodles, almost like pad thai, but mm-hmm. just with that extra added element of the sambar. And yeah, then yeah. you have soy sauce um, and shrimp paste. And then you also um, you cook it on a really, really high heat, yeah, really yeah. fast, and then crack the egg into the wok nice. with it. And then you put your prawns in. That was absolutely delicious. I've tried that at um, almost a place sounds in... a little bit pad thai like. That's yeah, like, yeah. It? literally that would be so, like the workings of a pad thai almost. But, yeah. So if you're in Georgetown in Penang. Um, there's a place called Nazlina Spy Station and you go and you can cook all of these dishes and you can request mm-hmm. what dishes you want um, with a really nice lady called Nazlina. Um, Nazlina. So, yeah, go and pay her a visit. Yeah. So, I think that leads us on, finally, to roti chanai, which is probably yes. one of my favourite things in the whole oh, world to eat. It is. Um, and in the May issue of the magazine, in my techniques page, um, you'll see that I did, like, a sort of test kitchen secret and a breakdown of how to make it. That's um, online as well. It is online, yes. Um, and you actually saw people make it, didn't you? you well, I've seen yes. people make it, but well, you recently... Well, we, we were, we were um, taught how to make it at Nazlina's as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's quite funny because she just said, imagine someone you really... She said, imagine an ex or someone you really, really don't like and imagine slapping them around the head with this, like, bit of dough. Mm. Um, and... and it's really surprising, actually, how how hard you have to do it yeah, because yeah. you'd think it would split, but you're yeah. literally whacking it down onto mm. the table. And you were doing it in the kitchen, didn't I think I, did, I don't know yeah. if anyone saw our Facebook live I video. Did, yeah. And um, Adam was whacking the table. With yeah, this. so they, they basically <laughs> use this technique that you flap it and slap it down on the table to elongate it and really get it thin. And uh, well, basically, you basically spread this little piece of dough as thin as you can get it with lots of oil, and then you sort of fold it all back on on itself so that yeah, it's so it really, really layered layers, yeah. yeah I mean it's like almost like the most rudimentary sort of puff pastry you can think of really because yeah. it's basically like you're just spreading a really thin piece of dough lots of oil in between the layers and as that cooked cooks but then oil like sort of sizzles cooks water evaporates and you sort of end up this really flaky layered pastry oh, so good. Um, do you use is, ghee to make it you can use ghee and you can also some people use ghee some people use um condensed milk um, oh, or evaporated right. milk um, but I kind of just, I've, I quite liked it just with the oil. It just kind of, it's for me, it's a deeply savoury thing. And mm. to put too many sort of sweeter elements, I probably could have used ghee, but a lot of the things I saw just used oil. Um, okay. And it just probably, yeah. 
Uh, and what would you have that with? What would you? Um, so that's the roti, and then the chennai yeah. is uh, like it's a really thin chickpea curry, and you get it usually you eat it for for breakfast, um, but you can get it eat it at any sort of time. Um, yeah, it's just like a really it's like a dal like thin chickpea curry, um, cheapest chips, you know, yeah. and it's. It's but more it's like about twenty p, don't you? Yeah, and it, it's it's kind of more. It's not like how we imagine a, car, a curry being really hearty, and don't know. It's kind of more of just like a little flavouring. It's like the bread's the hearty thing, and that's yes. the thing. That's the sustenance, and then you have a little bit of like thin. It's almost spicy like a condiment, curry. isn't it? Really? Exactly, exactly. It's not. Yeah, it's not like the way that we see curry. It's kind. Of, yeah, no. it's, you're exactly right. It's like a condiment that sort of just makes the bread interesting and even more tasty. Yeah. Um, and then finally, so for breakfast, so we've got loads of breakfast foods here. What I, that's what I love about going to Asia is they really focus on like the savoury breakfast. Yeah, I l- rice for breakfast of is one of my favourite things. Yeah, me too. Um, and what they have out there a lot is, to be fair, they're completely obsessed with Taytarik. I don't know if you've ever had Taytarik. No, I don't know what that is. It literally means pulled tea. Oh, right, um, yeah, yeah. So what they do, I don't know if you've ever seen them like on the street. So where they pour it between two cups from like the arm's length? Yes. Is it that? Right, yeah, right, it's right, almost yeah. like they do with Moroccan mint tea. Yeah, pour it to, from the height, really aerate, aerate it. it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but it's just normal tea with condensed milk and then, they, yeah, they pour it from one cup to the other. Like, literally, really they literally spread one arm <laughs> at full arm's length to the mm-hmm. other and then pour it from one cup to the other. It's, it's quite, <laughs> quite amazing. Yeah, yeah, it's really cool. And um, they're obsessed with it because um, a lot of Malaysians don't drink because um, yeah. they're um, Muslim and lots of different religions that don't drink. So they, they, their intake is very, very high. So sugary as well. Um, yeah, it's so good. And um, But the, what I loved about, for example, Kuala Lumpur is the difference between... So there's coffee, the cafe culture's mm. like immense there. Like, mm-hmm. I've never seen it in like, such a... Do you mean so start, start like Asian. as in like Starbucks or like, no, or like local? They've got a real wide variety. So they've got mm. all like both ends of the spectrum. So they've got the really traditional coffee shops, mm. which is often they also house the hawker style um, street food stores. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you've got those and they're really like, you, got, you get your little plastic chairs yeah, and yeah. everything. And then Kuala Lumpur's got a real like modern hipstery kind of um influx yeah, that yeah. has happened over the past five ten years um and they have you know really like more like hipstery barista style yeah, coffee yeah, shops pro- yeah, and they yeah. have them there and the, the one that i'd like to just if anybody's going to kuala lumpur um to send them to is merchant's lane and it's at the end of petaling street which is uh, the main chinese market in chinatown um and that's like brilliant it's it's very funny because you see a lot of malaysian people um coming to take instagram photos nice. so if yeah, you yeah. want to have a look on instagram it's um yeah. it's quite entertaining as well because they'll nice. queue up um there it is. but yeah so if you want to find any more information um we've got in the july issue again we've got our fridge raider um from guan chua and also i'm going to be putting something online because i'm going to be doing an insta travel on malaysia and nice. georgetown in particular cool thank All you right, guys see you later Thank you for listening to the Olive Magazine podcast. If you like this episode, please don't forget to go review and rate us on iTunes. For more information on things in this episode, head to our website, olivemagazine.com. You can pick up a copy of our Pack July issue right now from newsagents or go download the app version. Bye for now, and we'll be back next week with even more food and drink chat. <laughs>